0: Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities.
1: Hello, Feed Fanatics and Grain Geeks. Welcome to another edition of The Grain Feed, brought to you by Everag. Each week, we bring you updates on the markets with unique perspectives from an amazing team of analysts with the intention of helping livestock feeders and dairy farmers manage risk. I'm Phil Plourd, filling in for Jim Matthews, who is on assignment this week. That's the bad news. The good news is that we have two exceptional panelists on board for the ride today. First, from deep in the heart of Texas, Jake Kingsley, Everag's Director of Feed Procurement. Hey, Jake.
2: Good morning, Phil. How are you?
1: And I'm well, I'm well. And I'm really excited because, secondly, from Lafayette, Indiana, where it's actually drier than in Texas, we welcome Shelby Myers, Everag's Grain Market Intelligence Director. Hello, Shelby.
0: Hi, Phil, good
1: morning. Page, hey, so let's go ahead and timestamp this episode. It is about 8 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, June 22nd. Markets are kind of been going crazy. Uh, sharply higher yesterday, sharply lower this morning. But as of just a few minutes ago, we saw July corn trading at 6.65 per bushel. That's up 7% uh, over last week, but down overnight. Uh, similarly, Deese corn, $6.18 per bushel. Up forty cents, more than forty cents from a week ago, uh, but down overnight. Soybeans at fourteen eighty nine, up four percent of the week. And our old friend soybean meal, four hundred and thirty three dollars per ton, up ten percent from a week ago. Shelby, we are in full on weather market mayhem here, and uh, you know we're in that mode where the forecast runs come out over the course of the morning, and people change their opinions, and the precipitation percentages go up and down and we we lots of volatility, but generally the direction is higher here over the past week. And I presume it's 99.95% about the fact that it hasn't rained in a lot of key areas, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe a little bit lower, maybe 98%. I think there's a few people paying attention to some of the news that's going on. Uh, I think the ironic part about grain markets right now is that there is a lot of news that could be influencing the overall balance sheet, but these markets still want to trade weather. And I would say buckle up again today because the drought monitor comes out later today on Thursday and it's not going to look much better from last week and will likely be uh, showing more crop production areas under drought. And what that means for markets going forward is uh, reacting to a reduction in supply that we expect. Uh, This is uh, quite a time for key growing stages for maturing stages on both corn and soybeans, less on soybeans, but but we'll get to that point. And really seeing an opportunity for the weather to take shape on these stages and lower yield is what the market's going to react
1: to. So let's talk about a couple things, right? Because when that drought monitor comes out, it's going to show that Nebraska, strangely, and Kansas, oddly enough, are in much better shape than they were for a while, it's rained over there on the western side of the court, the far western side of the Corn Belt. Iowa did get a little bit of rain over the weekend. It wasn't necessarily a healing rain, but rain is rain. Um, parts of southern Indiana uh, and Illinois got a little bit, but really northern Illinois, northern Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, super, super dry, right?
0: Absolutely. And it's really the, that heart, there's a circle that you can kind of draw on the drought map. You can draw it on multiple weather forecasts. That the way that many of these storm systems have been trending through, they have literally circled around a portion of the of the US that's in key corn, soybean production areas and have just missed rains. Um, And it it has a lot to do with the way the pressure systems are moving and and progressing as they move eastward. We also see uh, NOAA declaring that El Nino has arrived a little bit sooner than they expected. And so you do have some of those residual effects. But what that really means is that uh, rain may come more in July But the question will remain, did the damage that occurred in June really make up uh, for those rains coming into July?
1: It's like I watched the radar over the weekend. It was like there's a curtain up, like, you know, somewhere on the Wisconsin border. I mean, it was raining to the west of here. But Madison, we were just, you know, just sort of in in that circle, as you mentioned. I don't know. I'm pretty sure, Shelby, you and I both enjoyed this week's episode of From the Furrow with Britt O'Connell. We had Eric Snodgrass from Nutrien, uh, weather guy, on, and, and it was just a fascinating conversation. I encourage our viewers to go listen to that because all kinds of talk about medium-term forces and how things, you know, have changed historically at times and and where this could be going. Jake, how are these higher grain prices impacting the world
2: of feed? Well, I mean, from the basis side, we remain stagnant, but uh, with this run-up in futures, maybe there's a little encouragement to. Did just a splash of, of these guys that, that didn't have anything sold. Uh, maybe they get a little bit sold. Maybe that brings basis a touch lower, but I don't expect much in the way of big moves lower for feed basis here. So I'm we've been patient on corn here for a while. We're starting to feel like maybe now's the time to dip in and get some of that October to March Portion purchase, like we had been talking with soybean meal and canola for a while, maybe get the basis set on some of that corn. Because if we do in fact see some severe damage to this crop and significant cuts to yield in the heart of the growing region, then there's potential that we could see some of the product from the plain states that really struggled last year and seem to be faring better than most this year start to move East, if we see some sort of a real export program hit, so um, starting to think about that, maybe dip in and get a little bit bought there. I think uh, for the most part numbers have been stagnant though. So if you can come in and and get some protein basis set, and then then try to manage the futures, we got a little time to work there. One other thing we've been looking at is we'd also been talking cotton seed and being patient there. We got some good rains of. Uh, almost too much rain in certain parts of the Texas panhandle where a lot of cotton is produced. And it sounds like a handful of acres will be put to prevent plant on that. And so now with futures having really jumped here over the last week, there's not a whole lot of reason for cotton seed prices to drop much lower than they had been. So I've been encouraging folks to step in and get a chunk of that bought for this next crop year as well. Um, those are a couple of things we're thinking about. So starting to think about playing a little bit of defense, huh? Yeah, a little bit of a defensive strategy now.
1: And the reality is that you know, six dollar and twenty cent ish December corn is forty five cents cheaper than the nearby, and below the highs we saw earlier this year, right? So I mean, you know, no one's going to think that six twenty is a bargain. And I think people, when we touched under five dollars in the middle of May you know people are starting to have $4 dreams if you will but um 620 isn't 7 or $8 right
2: Yep, it's still a difficult number to pin up against current milk prices but i think we had a lot of folks do a pretty good job of of taking advantage of that dip down to 5 and 370ish type of soybean meal numbers Um, I think they're wishing probably they had done quite a bit more at this point, but we're not encouraging going and owning the outright futures at this point. Certainly leave the bottom side open there um, so that if this, like Shelby was talking, the export market stays uh, very quiet going into the next crop year or the genetics of these uh, current crops allow us a pretty good bounce back in July, um, that we're open to that opportunity. So Shelby almost lost...
1: Uh, And all the weather noise has been some pretty important news on the biofuels front. Tell us what the EPA did this week.
0: Yeah, the EPA, after being granted a week extension, came out with their renewable volume obligations to meet the renewable fuel standard numbers. And what that means is that they set target minimum blending levels for ethanol blending as well as uh, what's considered biomass-based diesel, which is that renewable diesel product that we've seen a lot of popularity for from soybean oil. And so they set those minimum floors for blending and say, this is what the expectation is for the next three years. They set the 2023, 24, and 25 numbers. Um, And I think overall, The corn and soybean producer side of that debate were really uh, disappointed with the numbers, didn't find them to be as exciting and boisterous as they had hoped. What that really meant was that we thought we would get more of a bearish reaction on the market, uh, but it it really seemed like on Wednesday, the numbers came out. Um, You have a lot more political reactions to them, um, whether you're pro-blending or want to stay on the feed side or the oil side or however it may be, uh, we'll see a lot more of those debates. The market took the numbers, looked at them and said, okay, EPA did what they did, let's move on. Um, I think what's really important about these numbers is that um, these regulators operated in a world as is rather than a world as it could be. Uh, So you have soybean growers that are looking at production capacity for crushing and saying, All of these plans to expand U.S. crushing capacity are in the works. Why didn't those targets go higher to say the 6 billion gallons per year that we expect crushing capacity to take on by 2025 when the numbers that EPA put out are less than three? Um, Those numbers can always go back and be amended through a special process. But uh, keep in mind too, these are just the minimum blending requirements. So as that world progresses, uh, you could see higher blending rates just naturally through the markets. Uh, throughout the soybean oil markets and the soybean meal markets, you certainly saw the reactions. You know, Soybean oil had uh, uh, collapsed nearly overnight with rumors about what the numbers would be. Soybean meal had kind of the pickup that it really needed as a reaction to this. And you did see a, a bullish turn so that the soybean meal can get the crushing capacity that that is demanded there as we start to compete for soybeans throughout throughout the U.S. and the demand sector that we have for those soybeans going forward. So
1: I know just enough about this to be dangerous, but my sense of things is that, all right, so we have these government targets. Um, There is a sense that on the soybean oil or on the biodiesel or on that side of the street, that there may be market viability that extends beyond the government mandates right
0: absolutely yeah and that's that's the way it's trending but again i think these regulators operated in a what what does exist currently model as opposed to what what is on deck
1: model but that's not their job to fill the capacity is it
0: no it's not it certainly helps um and we've seen how in the ethanol market it has helped create that that minimum demand um and so you do have a lot more market factors playing into this and how these Uh, expanded crushers react to these numbers? Do they continue with their plans or do they not? I think there's a lot more market incentives for them to continue with the plans uh, and kind of push beyond the standard that EPA has set.
1: Okay. So we touched on the soy side of of things. What about on ethanol? What happened there?
0: On ethanol numbers, you know, the EPA really kept uh, the ethanol supporters not excited really. There was a slight decrease from the proposed numbers that were set up in December. Uh, that news is bearish to neutral for corn, primarily because uh, it it could potentially decrease long-term demand, but it's not a significant change to the short-term uh, demand that we see for ethanol. There's no change in the 2023 renewable volume obligation from 22, which keeps in line with the WASDE target and expectations of neutral ethanol corn use from 22 to 23. So short term, not as big of a deal. Long term, I think a lot of ethanol supporters would have liked to see this EPA go higher with their, their minimum blending um, and start playing on um, some of the opportunities that ethanol blending could provide, especially with a lot of state mandates going into place where they're doing state year-round E15 blending, as opposed to the national model of E10 blending.
1: Jake? I mean, soybean meal sort of becomes the star of the show in the feed world with all with all these moving pieces. Uh, did you have any first impressions to what we saw yesterday?
2: Um, you know, I think th- the thing that was nice is that it didn't run or it hasn't yet run all the way back to the $500 mark. And we've got some fairly decent protection on to kind of limit out where we are now. Like you said, Shelby, I think these are minimums and they're still quite a bit of investment going into this sector. I know there are a handful of crush plants that are expected to come online next year or early 2025 that have already broken ground. Um, So I guess I wasn't super surprised that they didn't come in and revise it all the way back up to the initial numbers we were hoping to see prior to that November draft release.
1: Shelby, before we go, uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in China, I believe meeting with officials there, trying to mend some fences. Uh, then over the past couple of days, uh, President Biden said some things that said talked about you know, President Xi being a dictator, which may have uh, put a little uh, fuel on the fire or cooled the mood of the room. I'm not sure which. Um, are we watching this China thing closely? And if so, why?
0: I think great markets really have to watch the U.S.-China relations closely, primarily that... Corn market because the corn market has really benefited from exports going to China in 2020, 21. And, you know, while they haven't been as stellar in 22, we have seen a higher number than the preceding eight years before that phase one ch- trade agreement. So, relations with China are particularly important in the corn market to keep those uh, happy and keep. Uh, those corn purchases coming. Um, Some things playing against the U.S. corn market right now is that Brazil has to offload their corn as quickly as possible. They don't have the infrastructure or climate to store corn, so their prices are a lot cheaper right now on the global market, which uh, China certainly has uh, warmer relations with Brazil and could see that price as a much friendlier price as well. On the soybean side, uh, I I would say we've been here before a little bit in 2017 and 2018, where soybean demand to China, U.S. soybean demand to China is a bit more inelastic. They really need our soybeans uh, for a number of uses that they have for that. And even when we were in a trade war with them, they were still buying our soybeans. So uh, we could see relations heat up a little bit more in the soybean market, but not in the corn market.
1: All right. One last thing, guys. USDA. Was at 181 and a half bushels for corn, right? Expected yield in the, the latest WASDI report. It's dry and crispy out there. Let's make some bold predictions. Shelby, if you had to guess right now, where's USDA going to, where's where yield going? What's the number?
0: I have a lot of interest in seeing how our corn genetics have evolved since the 2012 drought and how we respond uh, in that agricultural sector for for a situation just like that. So I'm gonna be a little optimistic on corn yields and say we've come a long way in over a decade and our corn yields come in at 168.
2: 168. Jake, what about you? Well, I, I thought I was being brave but I'm a little more optimistic than, than Shelby here. I think I'm, I'm still, I'd say it's probably a 170. All right.
1: We'll see what happens with the rain in the days ahead. That's going to be a wrap for this week's show. Thanks to the stats crew at Everag Insights for the data and charts. Kudos to Corey, our coordinating producer, for making the trains run on time. And thanks especially to Paige, our media magician, for making us look good. Last but not least, thanks to our viewers for tuning in. I encourage you to check out insights.ever.ag where you can find this show, all of our shows, including the From the Furrow episode I mentioned earlier, and our publications. Check it out, insights.ever.ag. And as Jim likes to say, we love your feedback. Contact information is on the screen.